everybody and welcome to our 1995 FA Cup podcast on this, the 25th anniversary of the never-to-be-forgotten semi-final win against Tottenham Hotspur at Ellen Road. I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Parkinson, Matt Jackson and Barry Horn, and also from the Everton FC media team, Paul McNamara. Joe, I'm looking at you on my laptop rather bizarrely. We'll start with you. 25 years, does it seem 25 years? Well, looking at us, definitely 25 years. Um, it was a great achievement at the time, but it's something that I, you know, I remember as if it was yesterday. Barry, welcome to the 1995 FA Cup podcast. Great to speak to you, as always. Does it seem 25 years for you? Well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. Trust me, the older you get, the quicker the years go by. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like yesterday to me, that, uh, that, that sunny day. Um, in '95, um, I can remember, probably remember more about that day and that game than than the, than the final itself, certainly. Uh, um, but more than most of the games that I played, I think I think I played getting off the 900 games, and and that is one of the ones that I can remember the most about for, for sure. People still say. Joe, that it was the best Everton performance of the 1990s? Well, it was one of the best performances I was lucky to be involved in. Um, like the others have said, it was just an amazing day. You know, there were a few things that went for us. Uh, we had three sides of the ground. The fans were amazing. And we also backed it up with a, a very good team performance and uh, some good goals. And the only bad thing for us was uh, the goal we conceded, which was, you know, never a penalty. We'll speak a lot more about the FA Cup semi-final in '95 as we progress through the special podcast. Matt, before you came to Everton, had you had any joy in the FA Cup? Any any memorable games in the FA Cup for Luton? Uh, well, as I only played nine first-team games, none of them in the FA Cup. Absolutely not. Uh, no, <laughs> it was definitely not on my radar of things to achieve other than what I'd been doing in the park up to that point. So, no, I mean it was it's incredible. Obviously, a boyhood dream that everybody has, um, and to realise it. Funnily enough, taking it back to the semi-final day, I don't particularly remember any talk on the day of, wow, if we get through this, we're at Wembley and it's an FA Cup final. It just, that wasn't the mood in the camp. It wasn't the group of lads that we had. Um, so, no, it was, it was nice in a way that being naive up to that point, um, and certainly in the previous years in the Cup, I, I can't. You know, I can't remember getting through anything other than maybe third or fourth round. I certainly don't think with Everton we'd had success leading up to that point either. <clears throat> you might not have you might not have spoken about it, Matt, but you must privately have thought to yourselves, "Wow, I'm 90 minutes away from the cup final at Wembley here." Honestly, I, I really don't remember it being talked about in that context at all. It just didn't seem to be that way. Obviously, there was a lot going on with the league campaign. It was a group of lads that. Were pretty down to earth anyway. I really, I really don't, and I certainly, from a personal point of view, at no point was thinking, "Come on, just if we can possibly get through this, and and what a Wembley final might be about." Possibly that might have been because all around the fixture, everyone was talking about the fact that it was going to be a Spurs-Man United final, and we just kind of crept up along the rails, and obviously on the day, a fantastic performance from everybody and fully deserved. But at that point. Really, only when the fourth goal went in was the point that other people started accepting that Everton might actually be making the FA Cup final. Can I just ask on that, Barry? That talk of the Spurs-Manchester United, that was a dream final, wasn't it? That was what the media had built up. That's what 
the country was waiting to see, apparently. How did that factor in your talk for the game? Um, no, I've got to be perfectly honest with you. For once, Matt's actually talking a lot of sense. Um, he, um, leading up to the game, we, we, were, we were wrapped up in a, in a relegation battle. Um, as, the, as the weeks and the months had gone by under Joe, we'd, we'd grown unbelievably, enormously in confidence. And we were, we were a good team. Um, and there was a steely determination and a very, very, very quiet confidence about us. We never, never thought we were going to get beat. We never thought we'd lo- we were going to lose. We always thought we, we had a chance. We beat all the best teams in the, in the league at the time during that run under Joe. And this was just another hurdle. And, and um, if anything, all the comments were self-effacing and, and putting ourselves down in a in a almost ironic way, really. You know, we knew we were good. We didn't need to talk about it. We knew we were doing well. And I have to say, whilst we might not have spoken about it, I certainly fancied our chances against Spurs, definitely. But you're right. The the talk of the the dream final, North South, two purest football teams. You know, two teams of great FA Cup tradition. Not that we didn't have FA Cup tradition, by the way, and that was never talked about. But um, we were just making up the numbers. Um, I can't remember who United beat in the semi-final, but they were there to make up the numbers as well, just as we were. In. And that just added to the to the determination, the quiet determination that we had that we were going to do it. Um, but Matt's absolutely right. There was no no talk about ifs or buts. There was no talk about what if. It was, um, let's win the next game. Let's win the next game. And then that one came along. Um, and we, we still hadn't secured our place in, in, the, the, in the Premier League at that point. We didn't do that until um, a couple of the games before the Cup final. So it was, it was literally, keep winning, let's just keep getting the points, let's just keep playing well. Joe, go back to Ellen Road, the semi-final. Three sides of Ellen Road, populated by Everton supporters, famously. Did that take you by surprise when you when you first trotted out onto the pitch at Ellen Road and you could see that it was predominantly Everton? Were the lads surprised by that? I don't know. I certainly was. Um, you know, would have tremendous support. Um, you know, those words, they had that big new stand. But until you run out just before the game was due to kick off, you didn't realise what the three sides of the ground meant to Evertonians and to us. That, you know, the, the amount of noise and support they gave us was was fantastic. Uh, even going to the game, we couldn't see him. I never really noticed any Tottenham fans. You just saw blue and we just took it over and you know, we, we backed that up with a, a really good footballing performance because people weren't talking about us as, like Barry said, as a good team. Was, like we said, the dogs of war will tackle, will do this, but we could actually play a little bit as well. And I think on that day, we played against a team that we fancied as a, as a footballing side. Great battle them, but totally outplayed them as well. And like I said before, I, I was gutted that we actually conceded a goal because we didn't deserve it. And uh, looking up, we went on and you know, scored four goals. Was there a feeling, Matt, when you when you saw the Evertonians amongst the lads, thinking to yourselves, "We can't lose this here. We don't lose this here." Yeah, it doesn't quite come across that way, but you can't underestimate what it actually means. Obviously, they had some superstars playing in their team. You know, we had vastly experienced players that are used to playing in front of big crowds. So you don't generally say that a crowd affects you that much. But on that day, 
running out, it gave you that buzz, the expectation that was around Ellen Road just transmitted itself onto the pitch immediately. It, it felt like such, and I think because it was such a novel feeling that it felt like such an advantage, you know, it was definitely, definitely a factor in the performance on the day, for sure. As far as if it had been a reverse situation, I actually think we probably wouldn't have won the fixture. Really? They say that they say that Barry. They say that two 0 can be a, a dodgy scoreline at times because when you're two 0 up, the next goal is either game over or game on. When they scored that dubious penalty, were there a few nerves about? I've got to be honest with you, guys. I'm listening to Matt and Joe there talking about. Um, you know, and you were asking about whether there was a sense of we can't let the fans down. Um, I just remember it as being. And, and 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 this is not a false memory. I I remember being totally relaxed, um, totally confident. I remember joking with Joe before the game. Um, yeah, Matt's right. They had some fabulous players. They had some fabulous players by reputation, um, and they ha they actually had some good players. One one or two, I didn't think were as good as people thought they were. Um, one one of the lads in midfield is one of them, Darren Anderson, um, came out with a bandage on his knee and don't think he fancied it fancied it on the day. And I just I was totally relaxed and totally confident. So when when that goal went in, um it didn't really change things for me. Um I I just thought that I just felt that we were on top of the game for for just about all of it, to be honest with you. Whether that was the crowd, the three sides of the ground, I I I don't know, but I I I I would tend to disagree with Matt a little bit. I'm I'm not sure that if we hadn't played the reverse situation, whether that wouldn't have made us even more determined. I don't know. We'll never know, will we? All 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 we all know is that it was a fabulous day, and and certainly the the fact that we had the three sides played a played a massive part in that day, but. At no point was I not confident on that day. Similar thing, Joe. You said you boss a game in all departments from beginning to end, but it took 35 minutes to score a goal. So were you relaxed in that period, or was there any concern that you weren't making your dominance pay off initially? Yeah, I was, you know, I was always nervous before games. Uh, it doesn't matter what occasion it was. I always seemed to be nervous, which I thought was good. Um, again, we did dominate. But it was just getting that chance, wasn't it? Uh, creating little half chances here and there. But you could just feel the confidence within the teams. We sort of, like we've spoke about before, we had great confidence because of what we've just been through the last few months, especially when Joe coming. And we just had that confidence. We didn't really have to say too much to each other. We all knew our jobs. And we knew when we clicked, you know, we were, we were a force for anybody. And, and that's what happened that day. And then once the goal went in, it probably did relax you. You don't really, you know, I was probably still worried that what if they get one back, sort of like that, but other people, it gains more confidence. But when they score, it just gives me more determination to try and make sure we, we get the next one. Did you have a flutter on yourself, Matt? <laughs> uh, no, that would have definitely been a career loss leader. So. Although, yeah. I do like to, at this point, remind you that I am the record goal-scoring holder for the Premier League. So, I don't know if you're aware of the statistic, but I am the longest, or the hold of the longest stretch between Premier League goals of 13 and a half years. 
<laughs> never to be beaten, by the way. <laughs> so, Hopefully. yes, not backing myself in that regard and uh, very much the work of Mr. Hinchcliffe. Um, but it was, it was amazing to score in that, in that regard. But it, it certainly was a situation where having started well and started really well, you're aware of that on the pitch where you know that the team performance is really good and you need, you need that goal. Obviously, with Graham Stewart and Paul Ryder up front, we were used to not scoring very regularly or quickly. <laughs> but no, it was great to, to do that. And suddenly it gives everybody a bit of belief of, OK, we're playing well and we're ahead. Can we go on with this? Going back to the, their goal, I don't actually remember us having a period where, in the final, for example, I remember us going through a spell where, wow, we're up against it here and Nev made a few saves and you know that it's a bit back to the wall. I don't remember, I might be wrong, I've never watched the game back, but I, I, I don't remember us having a period where we were really up against it, even after that goal. What was Daniel Amakachi like around the place? <laughs> Alternative. <laughs> Want to expand on that? It fitted in really well. I think, I think fitting into the group of lads that we had, mostly led <clears> by the seniors that made sure that the group was close. Obviously, you're not going to get everybody completely compatible, but it was different as well in the fact that squads were smaller. You didn't have 30 pros of which you know you'd always have eight or ten that were completely cut adrift. We didn't have that, so. No, he was obviously culturally completely different, but he was a great character himself, always quick to have a smile, always quick to join in, want to be a part of anything that was going on with the lads. So he'd integrated into the group really well. Not sure we all thought he was necessarily going to have the impact that he had on the day, but everyone was delighted for him and everyone really liked him. Barry, you and I spoke recently and I gave you that statistic. The team that started... Yeah. The 1995 FA Cup semi-final, those 11 players had never started the game together before, which is an astonishing statistic given that it was such a wonderful performance. I was, I was actually going to bring that up and, and give you full credit for it, Daz, because that is amazing. <laughs> uh, played, played before or, or since, except for the semi-final, just, just twice they played together. Um, and, and, of course, we all tell the, the story about the day before um, the FA Cup final and, and, and Joe had obviously been agonising over his team selection but no matter how he played it, no matter how he thought about it, no matter how he tried to, 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 to you know, manipulate the team, he, he really didn't have a choice but to go with that semi-final team. Um, the team picked, picked itself, everybody was fit. Um, and Joe said, you know, and I'm not sure what changes he would have liked to have made, but there was a couple of lads. He, he, there was one lad in particular who, who didn't get a game. And I know Joe, and, and all of us were gutted, really, but that's, you know, that's football, unfortunately. And, and, but Joe just said that performance was so good, he, he had no choice but to, but to pick those same 11. And, and the fact that they'd never, they'd never come together before in, 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 in that fashion is, is quite remarkable. Did anybody speak to John Ebrill the night before the FA Cup final once the team had been named? There's not a lot you can say. Um, everybody knows how he's feeling. He knows that we all know how he's feeling. Um, John's is, we're all great mates with John, by the way, and uh, I think me more so than, than, than Matt and Joe, possibly. But 
he's a tough lad and uh, he hid his disappointment as well as he could and and yeah anything you say is not not patronizing but it it doesn't help but yeah i'm sure we all said you know sorry for you john or gutted for you john but there's nothing you can say because we all would have felt exactly the same had we been in this position and and by the same token of course the nature of football is um you're you're glad that you're playing um, you're glad that you're one of the ten outfield players that I named to play um, from the start. So it's uh, that's just how it goes. And I don't think anyone was surprised, to be honest. I don't think anyone. I think you've got to. Sorry, I, th- I think you've got to say about John as well as obviously disappointed he would be, but he was riding there in the changing rooms, not showing that, and really backing and wanting the club and the players to perform really well. And that's one thing that I think shows what John Edwards all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and he was a character that could actually take it you know you would be worried about players that you've played with receiving that news and the adverse effect that it could have a on them he was a player that he would take that in his stride obviously be disappointed but you know if you had to pick a three that look we can saddle you with this and know you can cope he would definitely be right up there something else on that starting 11 Eight of them started the game against Wimbledon less than a year earlier when Everton were fighting to stay in the Premier League. There was a terrible start to the season as well. So obviously, Joe Royal came in and turned things around, but how? And I know Joe and Matt, neither of you played in that Wimbledon game, so you might say it was us two. But what was the trigger? Um, Well, I can answer that because... um... Because I did play in the Wimbledon game, um, and it, it was it was really. If anybody ever wonders, like when I was young, I used to wonder what a football manager. When I was really young, I mean, what a football manager did. It was you know I just imagine surely you just pick your best eleven players. But if if there's ever anybody wondering or or, or wants to look at the 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 impact that a manager can have, and, and there's been many, there's been many cases where a manager's gone into a club and with the same group of players achieved vastly different results. Well, look at what uh, what Joe did when he walked into Everton. And, and Joe will tell you, he knew looking from outside, because obviously he was, he was working in the game, he knew from the outside that there were some good players at Everton. Um, he probably thought as an Evertonian that we should be doing better. But he was, he, even he was surprised when he walked in and after a couple of games, after a couple of weeks, realised actually there was a lot of good players in that squad. Um, the, the, the difference is purely and simply Joe Royal and Willie Donachy, um organising us, giving us confidence, giving us belief in what we were expected to do, um, the way we were playing, and, and that is the job of a manager and a coach. Um, Joe managed, Willie coached, and together the two of them were, were a phenomenal team. Was it as much Joe Royal's personality in terms of the effect he had? He had a brilliant way with words when he spoke in the, in public and I imagine he was the same in the dressing room. Yeah, um, he's, he's fantastic, uh, king of the one-liner, fantastic sense of humour. Um, and he, he, one of his things that he used to say to me regularly was, um, if, I, if I ever asked anything of him, he, you know, his answer would be, "We aim to please," and he would he would do anything for you. But by the same token, um, 
any manager who's had any success over a period of time, which obviously Joe had, um, when when it was necessary, he was he was totally ruthless and he was able to make tough decisions without flinching. Um, you know about about players, about team selection, about tactics. Um, so he, he had that balance right. Certainly, Joe managed us. He made us feel confident. He made us feel good. Willie coached us, but, but under the instruction of Joe, obviously they you you watched them on the training pitch, and um, it was almost telepathic. The community they never spoke, but they were both knew exactly what was going on and what the other one was thinking. Um, but yes, certainly Joe's personality is a massive part of uh, what what makes him a great manager. So let's yeah, just I think, sorry, I think on that, just probably I'm as as kind of able to talk about it in terms of the fact that I was only in the cup team and obviously wasn't in the league team at that time. Um, and Joe, I was integrated into it, never felt out of it, obviously was highly motivated in the cup games. But that's not an easy thing for a manager to do, to manage all individuals in that regard. I think Graham Stewart was in the same situation as well. I might be wrong on that, but I think he was. So, you know, Joe was changing the team after these great cup performances for the league. But ultimately, he guaranteed the club survived in the league and won the cup. You can only put that down as excellent management you know, throughout the entire season to keep that group together and keep them going. Obviously, confidence helps a little bit with results once they start coming in. But it wasn't like he had an easy job to do just in terms of I just sent them out and they won every week. It was far, far from that sort of situation he found himself in. How was that for you, Matt? Because it was partway through the season, wasn't it? Earl Barrett came in and he took place in the Premier League most of the time. And like you said, you played all the cup games. Yeah, obviously strange. And I was in the last year of my contract as well. So for me... I was playing the cup games, but knowing that I would probably be needing to leave the club anyway. Um, but I got a massive amount of help from Willie. Barry talks about um, the coaching that Willie did, the extra coaching that Willie did. I mean, he took me up to the northeast to see like a movement coach that he, you know, he was really progressive in the things that he would do. So they, it wasn't like you were written off and look, we need you for the cup games. Look, we'll roll you out and then throw you back in the reserve squad. It wasn't like that at all. Everyone was fully integrated. The first team squad was as close as anything. Um, and obviously, the relief that everyone had for staying up and then going rolling into the cup games was, was fantastic from that point of view. But it was not an easy job. I think Joe's blue blood helped as well. You know, that you can't really underestimate that. He understands <laughs> the psyche of the club, knows what the supporters' expectations are, knows what they want to, to hear, but also knows that as Barry says, the coaching is done by Willie and Willie's expertise in that regard had and kept everybody really fit and kept the group ticking along on a day-to-day -day basis. Joe, when you look at that FA Cup run, when their FA Cup run started, we were in the bottom three in the Premier League. Now, you'd all been around the club, as, as Barry mentioned before, when we played Wimbledon. Was there a feeling at any time amongst the club, in and around the club, that, listen, the FA Cup ain't our priority here. Let's make sure we get points on the board. And we won't take the FA Cup seriously. Was there any of that? Um, I'm not so sure on that. Uh, we spoke before about what a group of lads we did have. Uh, and how we were together and the confidence we were gaining. I think it was more, let's just take the next match. And then once we played that one, it's the next one. Take it from there. Make sure we were still all fit, looking after each other. And game by game, really. Uh, but the FA Cup was 
for me was just as important because it just kept our run going. Uh, it was another win, and you know our performances went went on to, into the league, and we managed to, you know, which history says we've won the uh, stayed in the league and won the FA Cup. So for me, it was just play your best for every game to make sure you're in the next game, never whether that was in the league or it was in the FA Cup. You just had to make sure you was in that next team. Yeah, and taking it easy for cup competitions didn't really exist so much then. It wasn't like you had the squad rotation like we have now. You know, outside that pretty tight-knit group of players we had, I really don't remember anybody else particularly being involved at all. And that, and that was just the game, the nature of the game in those days. Barry, you and I spoke recently about the, the tie against Bristol City. And I know Matt will be itching to speak about this one, but I'll start with you, Barry, of a May. And I said to you, Barry, when did you think that we had a chance? When did you think we can win the FA Cup this year? And you said to me at the end of the Bristol City game. Why was that? Um, well, the, the, the cup run started sort of not exactly with a bang. Um, it, was a, it was a pretty drab affair, the, the third round. Then we went, we travelled to Bristol City and it had, it had everything, everything pointed to a, to a shock result. I think they were the third tier at the time. Um, we, were we were still, you know, hovering around. Not sure where we were, but we certainly were, we were in and around the relegation zone. And we went down there and we had injuries and we had illness. Um, the pitch was a fantastic, proper January mud bath. Um, you know, it's, it's 25 years ago, don't forget. So to, to ask, you know, to, to even contemplate squad rotation or playing a weekend team or not taking the club seriously that hadn't, hadn't even been invented yet it was I was like 30, 33 um, so I'd, I'd had a couple of quarterfinals one of which was on Luton's plastic pitch which I still feel a bit aggrieved about because that was such an advantage and I always I always wanted to have a really good FA Cup run and you know I don't mean I wanted to win it I don't mean but I just wanted to to go as far as I could in the cup and running out of opportunities to be at a big club like ever so we went to Bristol City it was as I say it had upset written all over it um, if I remember rightly John Ebro was on the bench but there's absolutely no way that he could have played he was so ill that's, that's how uh, you know we were down to the bare bones fortunately we had the spine of the team was intact. Um, the, the experienced lads were, were in there, and, and I think it's fair to say held held the team together on the day because um, David Burrows started dreadfully at left back if I'm right. Got absolutely torn apart by their winger, and they kept missing chances. We we hung on in there. I think Nev made a couple of saves as as usual. Um, Waggy had a terrific game, and then. Just to just to, to, to put the top hat in it, really, Matt Jackson um, shinned one in his left foot from 20 yards on the volley. And at that point, I thought... 23. 23. <laughs> Absolutely. And at, at that point, I thought, we've just got away from there. Um, we, we didn't deserve to win that game. Um, but we hung on in there and did, and I thought... And then, of course, after that, you know, there was some... There were some memorable, memorable victories. We played some big, big teams, um, but that for me was the was the moment when I thought, you know, there's uh, there's an omen there that that's, we've got away with that. 
asked, did anybody, did, did anybody, be honest, did anybody shout, don't shoot, don't shoot from there, for goodness sake? Um, no, I mean, everybody I'm sure would have been thinking that, but no one actually passed the message on. They didn't really need to. It was not something that was usually uppermost in my mind. So, I, you know, it's still a surprise to me that I took that decision as it was. Barry mentions David Burrows there and his performance. I, on the day, had been absolutely atrocious. So I've mentioned a few times about getting Brian Tinian and move to Barcelona off the back of it. And I got absolutely tormented on the day. But yeah, for it to end that way, ridiculous. Still looks ridiculous, but certainly nice to have, well, basically single-handedly won the cup for Everton with my goals contribution and assist in the final. Someone who didn't wait for. So if someone who didn't score very often, you didn't celebrate your goals a great deal. You looked dead on your feet after that one, and it was very understated at Ellen Road as well. Yeah, I think I think in that in the season leading up to that point, we'd actually caught Dave Unsworth and Stuart Barlow practicing celebrations behind the sports hall at Belfield. So <laughs> there was definitely none of that going on. So I <laughs> the more responsible attitude. I was never going to be a celebrator. And normally by the 90th minute, I didn't have much energy to do very much at all anyway. Joe, you scored your first Everton goal in the next round against Norwich City. Put it in from, smashed it in from about a yard and a half. Did you have a celebration planned? No, I was invited to go around the back of the uh, the gym. So I missed out on all that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was, it was that goal that actually won us the FA Cup. That, was, uh, <laughs> that set us on our way, didn't it? In a four or five one victory over Norwich at home. You know, for me it was it was the Bristol game. Um, I spoke to Junior Bent, who obviously tore our left back, left right and centre. I spoke to him in the past and he can't believe how they never won that game. I think ten one would have been a fair result. But for me, we sort of just thought, you know, we've to win the FA Cup you need a bit of luck. I think we've just had a bit there and uh, we went on to the next game and it was just a great great series of games. There were some tough ones, obviously, going all the way through to the final, but we, we were really confident. And, uh, yeah, from the Bristol game, I was confident that we were going to get to that final. After Derby County, Bristol City and Norwich City, Joe, we, we certainly did it the hard way then, didn't we? Because Newcastle United were flying at the time. Yeah, it, it was a, that was a tough game at home. Um, it wasn't the prettiest game in Newcastle. You know, had some great players as well. Uh, but, again, we were hard to beat, especially at home. And we stuck in there and, you know, uh, you know, managed to get the victory, which is just so important. And once you won that game, then, you know, you, you know how close you are there. And the confidence you give the club and the players was, was you know, fantastic. Matt touched on it before that there was no talk before the semi-final about playing at Wembley. But as a professional footballer, and certainly Paul and I, as members of staff, when you win a quarter-final, even in those days when the semi-final was at a neutral venue, you must automatically start to think about Wembley. Yeah, it's, it's there. It's in your head, isn't it? But the, the situation we were in, we needed to stay in the Premier League. You know, our family and friends were probably talking about it more in the press and things like that. But, you know, as a group of players, we keep going back to it. We just wanted to get on to the next game and, and make sure we won that one and made sure we stay in the league. Otherwise, the cup was just was nothing to us. Just before we move on to the final, lads, just go back to the semi-final. Manchester United and Crystal Palace drew the first game. Do you remember watching the replay and hoping that Crystal Palace would win the replay? Um, well, no. And 
until you've just mentioned that, I wouldn't have known that they played Palace. That's and I certainly wouldn't know it went to a replay. So, no, not at all. And I think, again, going back to the point that the press had built it up so much that it was going to be Man United and Spurs. Well, we could affect the one, but you just accept, well, OK, it's going to be Man United in the other. And, and that was how it was going to be. So, no, I certainly don't remember it being a major issue or anything that was even discussed, to be honest. I'll just ask Barry, um, Darren mentioned Daniel Amakachi earlier, obviously, and he got those two goals. But did you all realise on the field the confusion that was going on when he was running onto the pitch? Well, Paul, Paul Ryder was off the pitch at the back of the goal, wasn't he? And, and uh, the lads will back me up. Paul, I played with Paul at Southampton, don't forget. Yeah. And he did have a reputation for, um, how shall I put it, um, making miraculous recoveries from life-threatening injuries. Um, so it was no surprise to me that, you know, there was a little bit of drama and, and then, um, you know, the, the signalling from, um, from Les behind the goal got mis, misinterpreted by Joe on the halfway line. Um, it's 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 a, it's an amazing story that you know that Joe tells it is the, the greatest substitution I've ever made. Um, but if you if you if you watch it back, it's clear that uh, that Joe thinks that uh, Les is saying that Paul can't come back on. Paul's probably wanting a little bit more attention before he declares himself Lazarus like to, um, to get back to the and, and take his place. But in the meantime, Dan's on. And uh, and like the the uncaged wildebeest that he is, um, there was there was no stopping him. Um, so it's it's a fantastic story, um, but there's there's no doubt that that Joe, that Dan actually you know was sent on to replace Paul. But it, nevertheless, the whole the whole story is brilliant and um, was the icing on the cake really. Dan um, one went in off his right shin pad, I think, and the other one went in off his. Of his face, full face plant of the ball in the back of the net. Two, but two great moves leading up to the finishes. The, the last one in particular is astonishing. If you watch it now, it's talking about counter attacking football. Um, I think it was the, th- the fourth one, might the third, I don't know, but one of them is a corner. And we broke um, Graham Stewart, Gary Ablett, uh, Daniel, myself. Um, I, th- I think Matt might have even been up there. Um, um, to, to culminate in a goal, it was uh, it was quite an astonishing um, a goal really to come at that point in the semi final. Um, and again, a testimony really to the fit of the lads. We were really, I know, from my own point of view, um, I felt I could outrun anybody that I played against, and I think we we were a really fit team, and it showed in that goal. Why you were in the box for the third? Goal? You were a big part of the build-up, weren't you? And at 2-1, you'd have expected the centre midfielders to be back on the halfway line. You were running forward and getting on the end of a pass from Anders Limpar, weren't you? That's right. That's right. And again, you know, that's how I felt on the day. I just, I think we were playing with, with almost total freedom. Um, and, you know, not in an arrogant sense, not in a... You know, let's show them what we can do. Since it, it was, it was just something that was unspoken. I just felt that there was, there was, there was something running through the team that day, that we were, we were just unstoppable. What was the journey like from Ellen Road back to Merseyside, Joe? Um, quiet. Uh, <laughs> we played chess, didn't we, Parky? Chess, yeah, yeah. I don't even know how to set the board up on that. 
Um, do you know what? I can't remember the journey back, but I can remember being in town. Um, I think was Razor Ruddock with us as well. Neil, Neil, Neil turned up. Yeah, he was. He was yeah, we were in a certain restaurant tables, and, and you know, having a, a great time because we, to be fair, I know it was twenty-five years ago. You could celebrate a bit more than you can now. I think uh, um, when we all got together, we definitely knew how to celebrate. It was fantastic, and that's all we should have done. It was a great achievement, wasn't it? That you know, Everton beat the mighty Spurs to get to to Wembley. You grinned very broadly when I asked that question, Matt. I take it you enjoyed the journey back? No, it was tremendous. And it was actually far better night simply because everybody was together um, than after the final itself. So the wives and the families had all been over and they all came back as well. And so we, we took over the restaurant and you know the lads were singing and there was obviously plenty of drink taken. But it actually summed up the spirit that we had in the squad. Everybody was there as well. So... It's not like a situation in the modern game where you get six of a hardcore turn up. You know, everybody was there uh, and, and there were no restrictions. Everybody could just do whatever they wanted and, and everybody did pretty much what they wanted. Joe Rule was similar to Howard Kendall in that, wasn't he? He made sure that everybody enjoyed the good times. Um, as I said earlier, that was, that was one of Joe's strengths, really. Uh, making people feel good about themselves and he knew... Yeah, and it was a long time ago. It was a completely different, different atmosphere, different, different culture. Um, but we certainly did enjoy that night. As you know, that started at, uh, at the celebration started at about ten past five, I think. Well, <laughs> however long it took us to get off the pitch, um, and then just continued long into the night. Um, and yeah, and it was great. Uh, I, I don't obviously Neil. Did he, had he played for Spurs or did he go to Spurs? I can't remember. But there was a reason why he particularly wanted to come out and celebrate on, on the day and he, he, uh, he found out where we were and joined us. And as I say, he was, uh, he, was a star, he was one of the stars of the show that night. Let's push it forward then to the FA Cup final. How did you all sleep the night before? Did you sleep well before the, uh, the Cup final, Joe? Personally, yeah. Um... Also found out that, you know what the team was, you know, could relax a bit more and yeah, I, I can't really remember too much around the hotel because we've been there a few days. Um, you know, speaking to family on the phones and what have you, sorting tickets out, it soon comes around. Um, even the journey to the ground, can't really remember too much about it. It was mainly once we got in the ground and uh, being around the changing room, starting to realise what it's all about and you know what an occasion we're at and being part of. Something I'd always like to do as a kid when you're watching it. And then you walk out in your suits, you see your parents. It was just an amazing day. And what capped it off was obviously the victory. But for the club, the team, the players, the wives, anyone connected, it was just a fantastic day. And it was, the thing was, it was well deserved for what we achieved to get there as well. You knew you were Sorry, was that to me, Darren? Did you sleep okay? Yeah, I think. We'd gone down actually a day earlier, so I think, I think we went down on the Thursday. So we'd had an extra day, but what you're trying to do is just maintain your normal routine, as normal as it can be. It was old-fashioned cup final day as well, so it was cameras on the bus going to the ground and helicopters tracking the buses getting there. and So it was, it was the old-fashioned build-up. The cameras around the hotel, I remember playing a bit of snooker, and you're just trying to kill time, really. You know, you know what's coming. We had a few light-hearted issues, like the 
the gear had turned up, the suits and everything, and the lads, some of the lads still had alarm tags in their trousers and things like that. So, you know, it was, a, it was a bit of a shambles that some of the dogs have wore up at that point. So, you know, the fact that we were then going out to take on Manchester United the next day, it certainly lightened the mood, but I just remember it being very relaxed in the hotel, obviously professional in the build-up, but trying to be as much as you can possibly be in your routine. You've all touched on it there, the dogs of war and the spirit and everything. But it is important to emphasise, isn't it, that Everton were much better than that. This was a very good team. I mean, Joe really touched on it at the start there. But this was a, a very good football team with a lot of good players. Yeah, well, obviously, Joel's in the, in the past regretted saying about the dogs of war. Um, something that we didn't mind, but I touched on it earlier. And I think the Spurs, the Spurs game just proved that we did have good players. We were more of the team than probably more other clubs because we used to, you know, we socialised together and we trained hard and we, we practised everything so well. And, you know, for for us to be recognised for playing good football was something which we wanted. We weren't too bothered that if we didn't get it, but we knew as a team if we performed with the players we did have, you know, we could beat anyone on the day and that's what happened. You talk about it being a strong team unit as well. Is there one player in that team who, if they weren't around, if they couldn't play, you'd have thought, oh, we're in a bit of trouble here? I mean, I'd actually say, sorry, pardon, on, I'd you... say the spine. I think Barry mentioned about that in the, in the Bristol City game and for sure the spine of the team was vital to what was going on. Um, obviously, we had Nevin Gull, Waggy at centre-back, Barry... Parky or John in centre midfield and then Paul Ryder, to be fair to him, led that line well for us um, despite his many catastrophic injuries. So certainly certainly the spine and more I would say the defensive unit of that spine was vital I think to everything else that was built upon. Barry, if I can bring you in and, and, and I'm astonished and I'm sure Paul is as well that you all slept so well before the, before the FA Cup final. I mean, I slept like a log, but my Friday was probably significantly different to yours. <laughs> when did the nerves kick in? At what point? Because there's so much going on. There's so much pageantry about an FA Cup final. The whole world is watching. When did the nerves kick in? Yeah, well, I, my, my pre-match routine was, was, would have been very different to most people's. I, I didn't go to bed early on a Friday night as, as a rule. Um, for the FA Cup final, I was determined to make it as normal as I possibly could, but at the same time, appreciate it was, it was probably going to be my only, the only time I ever did this. You know, and, and I've heard so many people saying the day we went in the blue and they can't remember it. I was determined to enjoy it, um, so it was, it was it was a fine balance in that really, uh, in terms of trying to make it just a normal game, which I, I did in my head. It was, it was another game, uh, one which I knew was going to be really, really difficult, but one in which we had nothing to lose. We'd, we stayed up um, at Ipswich um, the weekend, two, two weekends previous. Um, we had a good week's training. Um, we were in fine fettle. Um, so whilst there was confidence, it wasn't the end of the world if we got beat. Nobody expected us to win. So... My, my approach was to do everything as normal as I could, whilst at the same time appreciating it was something a little bit different. And I had nerves before every single game that I played, but not the nerves that most people have. I was just worried 
that I wouldn't play well, and therefore I wouldn't be playing the next week. That was that was that was the only thing that I ever worried about. So for the cup final, I knew that once the game got going, um, everything was going to be okay. And yes, you know you 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 have butterflies if you like in anticipation of the event and. You know, everybody's in the stand watching and it's on television. But I probably had, I was, I'd had a really good season. We'd had a really good season. And I was probably, this sounds daft, I was probably less nervous for that game than I would have been Ipswich away two weeks previous or, you know, any other league game during the season where, where I had to perform. Um, I wanted to perform. I didn't want to let my teammates down. I didn't want myself down. To me, that was all going to take care of itself. It was, it was Wembley. It was sunny. It was Manchester United. It was FA Cup final. That was that was always going to take care of itself. And it was just a question of whether or not we were going to be good enough and get the breaks that, that we would need to beat them from there. And as I say, once the, once the whistle went, it was just a game of football against an amazing team. By the way, that's one of those teams. I know they were missing. They were missing one star in particular, but that's a Man United team that any football fan of a certain age can can name one to eleven. You know they were a proper good team, and um, we had to we had to match them. And, and as I say, ride our luck a little bit. Matt touched on it earlier. There was a, there was a spell, wasn't there, where um, we had to we, we properly did have to dig in deep and rely on on the cat. Um, on a couple of occasions to pull us out the out, out the mire, really, but um, we did it. We did it, and as I say, it was a, a strange day all round. What about you, Joe? When did the enormity of the occasion kick in? When did the nerves really start to jangle? It was when we got to Wembley. We walked out in our suits, and I, I looked up and saw my mum and dad. And that's where it really hit home that you know where I was and the enormity of, of the event that I grew up watching them and wanted to be. So that's when, you know, and again, it's the same as Barry. My nerves were that I wanted to play well and make sure I'd be in the next game. That was my nerves. And I was sort of wanting them nerves there because if they weren't, I'd be feeling I'd, I'm not caring about the game and maybe have a bad game. It was weird. But, you know, in the changing rooms, you know, we were all fine. Not, not Nothing too much was said. Nothing that I really, I can remember too much. Uh, and again, we just all knew our jobs. And once the game, game went, it just... The first half especially, you know, that felt like 10, 15 minutes where the second half just seemed to go on and on and on when we are under so much pressure. Do you spot your family mask? Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a great photo of um, getting handed my, my boy. We, we were out on the pitch quite early, I think maybe like an hour and 40 minutes before kickoff. So um, my son was... 18 months at the time and uh, yeah, got a great picture of him being handed across the barriers and, and wandering out onto the turf um, at Wembley, which was a special moment for sure. I don't remember being racked with nerves, but I do remember my first touch was a back pass back to Neville and I got a good connection on it. And I, th I actually remember having the conscious thought of, right, you're into this now. That's it. We're off and running. Mm. Um, and, it, and it became a routine. I think the one good thing we had about that team, we knew how we were going to play. We knew what the basics of us were about. We weren't necessarily reliant on flair players to play well and, and carry the whole team. It was very much going to be, a, look, you dig in, you make your tackles, we'll get ourselves going, and then we've got a bit of quality you know, in the team that can, can maybe create something for us. But we knew 
our stock performance was going to be one that was competitive, hardworking. And I think that gives you a lot of confidence collectively. Matt, you speak to Graeme Stewart on regular occasions. How, how proud is he to have an assist in an FA Cup final goal? It still disgusts me to this day. <laughs> Honestly, it's... He's even had... He talks about it bobbling across to him, taking a bad bounce off the turf. It's just the whole situation is embarrassing and not really something I like to talk about. <laughs> let's, let's finish then on the... Uh, Sorry, Sorry Gary, just mentioned a couple of other players from the team. Barry, you mentioned there the um, part that Neville Southall played in the final. There was a programme on BBC the other day, top 10 Premier League keepers, no mention of Neville Southall. And I know he only played a few years in that era, but is that indicative of how he's perhaps still somehow underappreciated outside of Everton, how good Neville was? Um, and outside of Wales, don't forget I played with Neville yeah, exactly. for... 10, 11 years, 10 years, 10, 10 seasons with Nev. And during that period, we beat the world champions, Germany, in their first game as a, as a single country. We beat Brazil. We beat the fantastic Belgian team. We, we had a, a whole series of, of amazing results. And when you look back, um, in every single one of those games, never the, never the blind that he had to. Um, he was for a number of years, three, four, five years, I don't know. He was the best goalkeeper in the world, bar none. Um, and I think this, I can't stand the, the idea that football began in the third Saturday in August 1992. And we have the greatest this, the top 10 that, the best ever this. And, you know, it, it's... It, it just totally excludes what happened before August 1992. Bear in mind, in August 1992, Neville had been the best goalkeeper in the world for a number of years. Um, he was part of the mid-80s Everson team that would have gone on to dominate Europe. Um, and yes, he is grossly underestimated simply because arguably the best part of his career was played before, the pre before football was invented. <laughs> Matt, just ask you, you mentioned Andy Hinchcliffe earlier. He put in the corner for your goal in the semi-final. How significant was he in terms of turning that season around? Because one of the first things Joe Royal did was get him into the team, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and that you know, is Joe's, to Joe's credit. I mean, Andy was close, certainly to the three of us. You know, we saw him a lot socially. Um, slightly complex character outside of your normal footballer type. Um, hadn't really got on with Howard for all of the time that Howard had been there. And I think that had affected his confidence. But Joe immediately recognised the ability that he had. You know, that left foot that he had was amazing. He was, a, he was an intelligent footballer. Didn't actually love the game very much, but was an intelligent footballer. Um, got on really well with the squad. And obviously, once he, he got his confidence, found his way, you know, obviously to international caps, which was a, certainly a mark of his quality. The set pieces had really defined a lot of the things that he'd done that season. The goal in the semi-final is one that we recreated, not necessarily with that outcome, but very often I would be flicking that ball onto somebody at the far post with you know, a, a waggy or somebody coming in at the far post. It was one that we worked on a lot. 
and we did work on them too again going back to Willie and his his work you know we practiced them it wasn't just a fluke of oh that's happened it was something that was worked on uh, and some some that was coached into us but you now Andy used the confidence that Joe gave him to go and have a fantastic career and and we were delighted for him but he was an integral part of everything we did in the league and the cup that season just make a mention of Gary Ablett as well. Barry Horn, there you mentioned the part he played in the fourth goal on the counter-attack at Ellen Road. It's been eight years now since we lost Gary. Tell us a little bit about what sort of guy was. And I know Barry and Matt, you both played with him again at Birmingham, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, just to, just to back up first to what Matt said about Andy. Andy was crippled with a lack of confidence under Howard. He, they just didn't get on. Um, and I always kept saying to Andy, he was better than he thought he was. He was better than he was sure he was. And, and again, you know, another example of, of Joe's brilliant management style, recognised the ability, recognised what he needed to bring the best out of Andy. And he did that. And, you know, we were, we were fortunate, really. And we had Unzi, Gary and Andy, you know, could, could play left-sided and naturally left-sided. Gary was a fabulously, naturally talented footballer, equally comfortable, left-back, left-centre-back, could play left midfield, no no problem whatsoever. Incredibly laid back. Um, Gary's warm for, for the game was to touch his toes a couple of times, jump up and down on the spot a couple of times, and that was it. He was ready to go. Um, naturally fit. Um, he was a good trainer, but never, you know, never excessive. Never put himself out to, to train particularly hard. Everything just came naturally to him. Um, and that goal, Ellen Road, summed him up really. You know, for somebody who, I mean, I trained obsessively. That was my big thing, the fitness. And but Gary just did what everybody else did. Strolled out on the pitch, at the five to three, ready to play, and yet was still able to make that run and that pass. Um, and that composure, you know, at that stage of a of a of a, of a semi final, he was, uh, yeah, he was. It was a little bit of a Rolls Royce, to be honest with you. Um, fantastic touch, fantastic awareness, good athlete, um, just just a natural footballer. Okay, yeah, guys, um, I've remained close to the family since his death as well, and you know, we were close right to the end of our careers in that regard. Um, so I see a lot of the family still. Um, his daughter Scarlett's had what would have been his first grandchild now as well. So we're seeing the generations moving on, um, still with us every day. And, and we mentioned that 25 years, unfortunately. Those are the things that happen in 25 years, but uh, his memory will always be with us. And he was as integral a part of that squad and those performances as anybody. Gary Ablis, of course, as FA Cup legacy will live on forever. The only players who have won the FA Cup with Everton and Liverpool. We're just about to run out of time, guys, but I just want to know how we celebrated the FA Cup final. There was a traditional FA Cup final banquet. Yeah, the, the celebrations actually started as we got on the bus the next morning, funnily enough, because that was the one. Joe's experience pretty much was everybody else's. Um, we were all split up. We all had to be on a, on a separate table and, and it just wasn't a night that got going at all. Obviously, I'm, I think there was some fatigue kicks in once you start to come down. Uh, the adrenaline, obviously, Nev apocryphally goes home. I think he drove home to Landudno, didn't he? About quarter past five, probably still in his kit, knowing Nev. 
so it didn't get going, but we definitely made up for it once everybody got on the coach the next morning, headed back up to Merseyside, took the cup into Burger King. Dave Watson took it in and stuck it on the counter and then obviously into the open top bus parade, which was just sensational. Did you enjoy yourself, Barry? <laughs> Do you know what? I think I, I, I did enjoy myself, yeah, but I enjoyed myself despite the brass band, which, um, which uh, somebody said it was brilliant, that brass band, that we marched down the dance floor. And, and I, I think I said, was there a brass band on? <laughs> but, uh, but I do remember. I do remember doing my best to. To well, I think I went and sat up when Bobby Davro was on. Um, but I, I, I did have a fabulous night. I, I, I sat back. Um, I kicked. You know, I, I, I was quite chilled. I had a lot of people in the room that I wanted to, that wanted to see me. I wanted to see them. Um, I think I stayed up. To be honest with you right through until, more or less until we were getting on the coach in the morning. Um, but yeah, the lads are quite right. That was, that, that was the, more, the more memorable part of the, uh, of the, of the couple of days, really, was, uh, was the trip home and, and in particular the, the bus drive um, through, through the town, really, which was, uh, which was brilliant. Um, and I often think what we would have done if we'd lost, because obviously you don't just, Book of the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards and Bobby Davro at half past five on a Saturday night. <laughs> um, I was just, you know, imagine how miserable it would have been having to watch that brass band and Bobby Davro if we'd lost. That's all I can think. It's never going to happen. <laughs> special, me special memories from a special achievement by a special group of lads. This has been our 1995 FA Cup podcast. Massive thanks to the three guys Joe Parkinson, Matt Jackson, and Barry Hall. Well done, guys. I know.